Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. In this series, we speak to experts from around the globe using research to create real impact. In each episode, we explore the role of research within the context of the environmental, economic, social and political challenges facing our society and look at the ways in which research, policy and practice interact to affect communities around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Daniel Ridge. I'm Helen Bedo, and we are publishers at Emerald Publishing. Research in the UK has a long tradition of sharing knowledge in innovative ways with businesses and communities. This two-way movement of ideas, experiences and research outcomes between researchers and those that use it has led to many innovations for new products, processes and services across many different sectors. Current assessments of university performance centre around research and teaching and the valuable activities around knowledge exchange can be overlooked. The Knowledge Exchange Framework, or KEF, aims to recognise and credit knowledge exchange efforts and foster a culture of continuous improvement around knowledge exchange. To find out more about the development and implications of KEF, today I'm joined by Helen Lau, Knowledge Exchange Manager at Coventry University, Hamish McAlpine, Head of Knowledge Exchange Data and Evidence at Research England, and Chris Hewson, Research Impact Manager for Social Sciences at the University of York. Helen, Chris, Hamish, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you all on here. Hi. Hello. Hi there. Perhaps a good place to begin is around the concept of knowledge exchange. Hamish, could you give us a quick overview? What knowledge exchange means is just the exchange of knowledge from a university or a higher education provider with someone who's not another academic. So it's any kind of knowledge-based interaction with the wider world, be that business, public sector, third sector, or, or indeed the general public. And that encompasses obviously a very wide range of activities. There's the very traditional kind of um, technology transfer, where you're, you're taking a, an invention, protecting it via a patent perhaps, and then exploiting that, creating a spin-off company, or licensing that, that particular piece of intellectual property to, to an existing company. That's one type of knowledge exchange. Um, but I think also it... it it goes right across into uh, provision of skills training and continuing professional development, continuing education, through to the provision of specialist facilities and equipment and provision of public space, uh, through to how universities support enterprise and entrepreneurship, through, for example, um, helping graduates start their own businesses, all the way through to um, public and community engagement. So a really uh, broad conception which encompasses not just the exploitation of research, but also how teaching plays its role in, in exchanging knowledge with the, with the wider world. Yeah, of course, the, the key thing there is the, the word uh, exchange. I mean, clearly, we are looking here at a lot of outputs from universities. So the exchange that we're measuring here is never going to be entirely 50-50. But obviously, a buzzword at the moment in, in universities is co-production. Funders particularly want to see that... that research projects are are co-produced and the research questions are co-produced because that's the best way of not guaranteeing but planning for benefit to derive to those non-academic partners in, in, a, in a coherent way and we have seen th- these things as being slightly too supply-led from, from institutions. I, th- I think that's right Chris and it's really important to raise because looking at it from external perspective uh, the person trying to find a way into the institution, trying to find a way in and, and interacting with them, they don't really care what your job title is, or whether you sit in a faculty X or, or department Y. They just want to, to be able to interact in the way they want with the institution or, or want to find out whether that can this institution help me? Can they help my community? Can they help my SME overcome this production challenge we have? So I think this idea of having a very simple external facing view of what knowledge exchange is does help break down the kind of internal structures and hopefully may make it a bit simpler for those who wish to to interact with their with their institutions. And what is the knowledge exchange framework? Could you outline for us what KEF is? Sure Uh, well KEF is the knowledge exchange framework um, and it came about in late 2017 when the then minister Joe Johnson at the time asked what was then Hefke and is, is now Research England to develop a, a new knowledge exchange framework to sit alongside the existing 
REF, the Research Excellence Framework, and TEF, the Teaching Excellence Framework. But they are uh, the KEF is quite different from those two, and, and the KEF primarily aims to provide data and tools to allow providers to sort of understand and hopefully improve their own performance in knowledge exchange compared to their peers. I guess there's sort of a secondary purpose of being a useful useful source of information for users and, and, and potential users of university-generated knowledge, such as businesses and the, the public and third sectors, and in some cases, the general public. And I guess underpinning both of those kind of rationales is the need for greater public visibility and accountability for the, the increasing amounts of funding going into knowledge exchange at the moment. And what's the importance of KEF? Why does the higher education sector need KEF? And what's its significance now? Well, I, th- I think knowledge exchange as, as, as a concept has been around a long time. Um, and it used to be referred to as kind of the, the third stream or third leg of the stool alongside research and teaching. But I think more recently, it's become so embedded. It's such an integral part of, of many universities' missions that I think it's important to recognise that. And I think one thing that I, I do hope the KEF will do is bring some parity of esteem, if you like, to to knowledge exchange activities. They're in no way the the poor relation to research or teaching, but they're absolutely integral to to maximising the, the benefits of both. I think what you've outlined around parity of esteem, that's that's really important. How is incentivization working currently and how do you hope to influence this with KEF? And what else does KEF aim to do? How will KEF work with the institutional ecosystem? Well, I think the increasing prominence of the of the kind of impact agenda has, has helped enormously in recent years. And, and you, you'll see that reflected in the, the greater weighting given in the you know, in, in recent refs. But I think it's it's still quite variable. I think a lot of institutions recognise that knowledge exchange is a very important function for, for multiple reasons. And some institutions have taken really great strides to to recognise this, such as, for example, creating a kind of formal career pathway, which knowledge exchange is explicitly recognised in. But then for others, I guess it's harder. And I, I do hope one of the one of the things that the KEF will do is, you know, as I said, this parity of esteem thing will make it easier for institutions to to embed the recognition of knowledge exchange activities in their sort of reward and recognition structures. And what else does KEF aim to do? What do you hope to influence within the institutions? So it, it's important to note that the, the KEF is England only at the moment, although we have a very close dialogue with our, our colleagues in the in the devolved funding agencies in, in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. But what the KEF is at the moment is an institutional level, largely metrics driven, quite low burden exercise with this idea of fair comparison as, as its heart. So Essentially, what we're trying to do is look at what assets and capabilities universities have to do knowledge exchange, and then look at a number of indicators that we think represent sort of outputs of knowledge exchange, and then see how well institutions do compared to compared to their peers. So really important point, this institutional level thing, this is not about individual researchers or, or academics. And the other really important point is around the fair comparison in that we have a very brilliantly diverse HE sector in in, uh, England and it would clearly not make any sense to compare everyone to everyone. It seems it's really about using a wide range of indicators to build a picture of knowledge exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about uh, knowledge exchange as technology transfer. So technology transfer and commercialization are a really important part of knowledge exchange. Actually, for many institutions, they're a very small part. And we take a very broad view of what knowledge exchange actually is. And I think this is actually true of the UK's approach as a whole. We generally take a very enlightened view. So we don't refer to to this as knowledge transfer or technology transfer. This is really about exchange. And I think that that two-way idea of exchange is really important. And that encompasses everything, not just about the exploitation of, of research, but knowledge exchange in our definition is everything from commercialization, tech transfer, exploiting the outputs of research all the way through to how universities help provide CPD, continuing professional development and upskilling opportunities in the local area, for how they allow others to use their specialist facilities and equipment all the way through to um, community and public engagement and provision of public space. So it's a really very broad, broad set of things. And what we're trying to do in the KEF is try and have a sort of basket of measures that, that represents the breadth of that knowledge exchange. Can you give us a couple of examples of the metrics for KEF? So the metrics, we, we group them into seven perspectives, which, which cover the breadth of, this, of the knowledge exchange. 
They are a lot of them derived from a survey that's been been running a long time called the Higher Education Business and Community Interaction, the HEBSI survey. So, for example, in working with business, we're looking at volumes of um, types of interactions that universities have with business. So, for example, volumes of consultancy, volumes of contract research. And within those, we also specifically split out the volume with large businesses compared to small and and medium-sized enterprises, SMEs. In public and community engagement, as another example, a very different one, we actually have developed uh, in association with the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement with NCCPE, a kind of structured self-assessment for universities to kind of um, self-assess their own maturity and how they approach their public and community engagement. So the metrics are really tailored to the type of knowledge exchange we're looking at. And we're trying to, within each perspective, give a number of ways that universities can show what they do. We're not trying to suggest that within a particular type of knowledge exchange, there is one best way and one metric which will cover all types. We're trying to provide universities the opportunity to to demonstrate how what they do is, is good. So I think this is a good point to get the institutional perspective on KEF. Chris and Helen, from your experience within the institutions, what are the implications of KEF? One thing that's come out of the process for me, from my perspective as, a, as an impact manager, mainly dealing with REF, mainly dealing with the um, aspects of KE around the social sciences, is it's been a way of bringing some of these questions to bear about what we are as an institution. I mean, Hamish will give you more detail on this. I don't suppose this will come out very strongly in the institutional KEF statements, because I think they're part of an ongoing process. I think we'll see a development of those and, and what they say and how universities choose to present themselves to the to the outside world because you've got to remember that impact tends to happen impact knowledge exchange tends to happen in small corners of institutions when you then have to talk about this in the round it kicks off lots of conversations but it also turns into something else it's a very iterative process you know you start finding out about things that are happening in your own institution that maybe you should have known about so i think this is actually a wider move across ukri and we see it in in other areas with for instance impact acceleration accounts where there is a realisation that these mechanisms, yes, they measure, yes, they benchmark, but they also get institutions to think about their own internal processes. And that culture change can be can be nudged, if not sort of forced from the outside. So I think it's, it's very interesting from my perspective, and not being somebody who's directly involved in the CAF, but who engages in lots of activities related to the CAF. And I, I dare say Helen will give you a slightly different perspective on this. I think um, for institutions across England, the way the KEF is built around seven different perspectives, one of the first things it does for us is it gives us the ability to, once the results come out, to see what the specialisms are across different institutions. So actually having the seven different perspectives, you'll be able to see, and the institutions will be able to see specialisms, look at benchmarking, look at areas of expertise, but also start to think about how they will then fold that into their own knowledge exchange strategies and ways of developing in the future. So Hamish mentioned intellectual property and commercialisation or technology transfer. And for some institutions, that's a real strength. And other institutions might focus more on local growth and regeneration or work with um, small businesses. And actually, it gives a way of looking at the wider piece of knowledge exchange and seeing where specialisms are as opposed to generalisation. I also think it pulls into the fore enterprise or knowledge exchange strategies in institutions for a wider conversation, again, around benchmarking, strategy and the future, and being able to compare across the sector what institutions are doing, and then strategising for the future and thinking, this is where we want our institution to go. This is what is important to us in a wider KE landscape, because actually the separation of the perspectives does that quite nicely. Yeah, I think Helen makes a very good, very good point there. And, and one thing we need to look at when, when the results are released are where different institutions are in their journey. Because I think some institutions will be talking about their strategy, what they've been doing, and some institutions will be in a different point in that cycle. They may be literally at the point where they're rewriting a lot of those strategies. 
for various reasons. Um, maybe it's been a new senior management team or uh, a change in direction for the institution. And of course, you can throw you can throw COVID in there as well, which has also affected how institutions think about particularly uh, regional and local engagement. So I think a lot of that will, will, will come out of the results. And I think that the benchmarking is quite interesting, isn't it? Because universities have always had a sense of who their, who their comparators are, but actually having, having the dashboards to play with and to see that a, an institution you thought you were on a par with has scored a little bit high, higher in some areas and a little bit lower in some areas than you, it will, it will help your reflection about whether that's a, you know, an, an artifact of, of the way the data was collected or, or there was actually something that you can, you can do to address that issue. Chris makes this an important point. It's a journey that institutions are on. And an important part of that journey, if you like, or a subset of it, is the journey that institutions are on around public and community engagement or civic engagement and how an institution does that. It's very specific to institutions themselves, the area they're in, what the actual community is like around them and the ways in which they engage or choose to engage and how they're looking at developing that for the future. And I think that's really going to be quite interesting, the way it's been pulled into the CAF and the way actually different institutions will look at that. And particularly given this year, 2020 and with COVID and going forwards into hopefully economic recovery, what institutions do and how they play a part and the different ways that they play a part. It's going to be a really interesting journey for individual institutions. But as a sector, it'll be really nice to see the different ways that can be achieved and actually celebrate the diversity of the institutions and and the places where they are based as well. That's fantastic. And that's music to my ears because neither uh, Chris nor Helen said league table. I think it's really important to emphasise from my perspective, this is not about a simple league table of who do we think is best. The fact you talked about the diversity of types of knowledge exchange, the individual strengths of institutions, the ability to go away and and compare and think about yourself, uh, your own institution and and where you are on a particular journey in a particular type of knowledge exchange is absolutely what we want to promote. So really great to hear that. One thing the KEF does is once it gives you data to benchmark, it also encourages universities to express their their USP, their, their uniqueness. What is it about their area that makes them different? What is it about the way they've set themselves up that makes them different? And I think this is very useful because... Obviously, if you've, if you've gone and read a lot of university uh, research strategies, which I know you probably all have, they tend to say the same things about where they're positioned on various league tables nationally and internationally. By the KEF coming in and getting people to, in a sense, make public what their KE strategies are and be encouraged to reflect on them for their own uniqueness without the pressure of them being being ranked in a, in a particular way, I think that can only be positive because that that information will then be echoed across the institution within inter other forms of internal and external messaging. I really like the dashboard approach and how that will enable institutions to to really investigate how different areas of knowledge exchange interact and impact on each other and to see the various mechanisms and dynamics that are allowing them to achieve uh, effective knowledge exchange and also revealing where the barriers might be. It's a real diagnostic approach. Chris and Helen, how have you found the process of putting together the narrative statements? I was involved in gathering quite a lot of the um, information for the public engagement aspect. And that, 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 was, that was quite interesting in itself because the institution that I'm at, York, didn't have a, a unified strategy. It didn't need one. There was you know, perfectly good pockets of activity happening around the institution. But it was a very helpful process to start having conversations across those those different bridges about about what what the commonalities are what what the common themes are and you know there's a wider piece of work at the institution around around capacity building li- linked to various other things out, out with the kef that that really made us think about what what we could say about our strategy how we could present that but how we could how we could uh, present it again as a journey with, with with steps towards improvement to get us up that ladder and i think that's in many ways the culmination of the NCCPE's approach, because I think m- most universities have had visits from NCCPE, various people have engaged with their agenda and we understand it. And, but I think this really takes it to a, 
to, to another level. It's really interesting to think about what institutions will learn from writing these statements. Helen, how have you found leading that process at Coventry? So at Coventry, I led on writing the three separate narratives, the local growth and regeneration one. It was a fantastic opportunity to showcase some of the projects and interventions that the university group has had across a number of sites in the UK, working with small businesses and making a difference in those communities. What was really nice is by writing the narrative statements and then circulating them in the university for approval, it really raised the profile of some of those projects internally and has given us a a great piece of literature which we can start to use and, and to circulate for our own purposes as well and it was nice to actually pull together success stories and, and to have those conversations and to talk about them with the public and community engagement statement that was challenging in the fact that it's quite a short document when you try to put into words everything that your institution does and embodies around public and community engagement. And I think several institutions will feel the same way. But again, it was really nice to pull out some of the success stories, to be circulating that, and to be talking about really positive things. And actually, really nice to be talking about really positive success stories during 2020, actually, and be saying, celebrating, saying, look at these great things we've done that we're now going to tell Research England we've done. Yeah, I mean, my, my sense with the um, public and community uh, engagement narrative is it, it gave you a very good chance to dig out activities that you just have no awareness of. And that's, it's part of the, the issue we often have with KE and impact is lots of these activities are hidden because they're, you know, for want of a better term, almost being done in academic spare time. They're, they're add-ons, but they're very valuable. And they could be valuable if the institution knew a little bit more about them. I think the advantage we had at York as well is that, you know, we are developing a, a new strategy to be a, a, a civic university, university of the public good at the same time as we're, we're, we're sort of creating the, these narratives. So they're, they're both they're both feeding into each other in, in different ways. I mean, the one thing that we we um, probably should look at as well is that the, the advantages here around the KEF in bringing to the fore activities in arts and humanities and social sciences that tend to get almost left off the radar of traditional KE or, you know, things that would never never make it anywhere near the, the, the technology transfer office. And I think the, these, these are useful ways because it keeps other parts of the institution interested in the overarching questions of KE strategy and, and what the KE landscape looks like and, you know, how it's changing and how it links to the R&D targets that otherwise they would be slightly disconnected from. Very similarly, actually, for Coventry, the writing of that public and community engagement narrative really nicely dovetailed into writing of a a new strategy um, for public and community engagement, actually, for the institution, and where a lot of focus has gone more on to the communities where we work and how we engage with them and what the needs are in those communities. And then a separate conversation, really, that's feeding into that about how that we can anticipate those needs are going to change over the next couple of years, really, and what that's going to mean in terms of health inequalities or unemployment in our campus areas. And I would presume to say that's going to be very similar for a lot of institutions that have submitted to the KEF that actually we've written these narratives at the same time as something huge is going on and actually it's it's been a good opportunity to pull all of that together and feed that information in. I do think that narrative particularly has been really good for pulling out some of the social sciences or other types of projects in a range of institutions where actually they're not normally or not necessarily the headline projects that people think about when they think about enterprise or knowledge exchange, but it pulls them forwards and it gives them a limelight, which is well and truly deserved because there's some excellent knowledge exchange that happens in that public and community engagement space. Hamish, is this what KEF were hoping for from the narrative statements exercise? Essentially, the the submission of narratives being voluntary this year, we've had by far the majority of the sector engage and we've seen a really high uptake of 
of them wishing to submit narratives. And I think this is because the KEF, in my view, provides an opportunity for those small but excellent institutions to really show they might be small, but there's some really excellent stuff going on. So I've been hugely, hugely gratified by the response we've had to the to the call for narratives. Just to explain the, the narrative element, so some perspectives we are taking a purely metrics-based approach, but for some of the for some of the perspectives, we didn't really consider the existing metrics that we have really to to be sufficient to explain the kind of full range of performance and the, and the stuff that institutions are doing, and therefore the narrative element of the KEF is particularly focused on two perspectives, the local growth and regeneration perspective and the public and community engagement perspective, where it's very difficult to capture the kind of huge breadth of of activity in a number of of metrics. In addition, I think in in local growth and regeneration, I think there's been a lot of focus on on the role of universities in their local area, not least through the the work of the UPP Foundation, the Civic Universities Report, and and the continued work they're doing in that area. But I do think there's perhaps not as such a well-developed conceptual framework of what good looks like in that in that area. So local growth and regeneration, and indeed civic, which I think is even broader than, than that, encompasses a huge amount of, of variety of activities. And what's been great about, about reading the, the narratives in those areas is we're starting to see patterns of, of types of activity. And I think in the fullness of time, we can do some real analysis on those narratives and start to kind of form a better idea of what good looks like for local growth and regeneration. So what is good practice around knowledge exchange? What does good look like? Well, I think the metrics that we currently use in the KEF are designed to kind of represent what we think is multiple ways of expressing what good is. I think it is worth pointing out that quite a number of the metrics are uh, based on income received by the university for their knowledge exchange activities. And we're not saying that income is the be all and end all of knowledge exchange. It's certainly not. But we use income as a a proxy for the kind of impacts generated. So, for example, income from contract research or consultancy with business, they'd be very unlikely to pay for something if they didn't think it had any value to them. So we've done quite a lot of work to establish that income is a a sound proxy for, for many types of knowledge exchange. And I think it's still important to say so, so I'm keen to emphasize that this is not about a simple league table. And Helen and Chris are absolutely right. It's about allowing universities to express the areas in which they have particular strengths in a very diverse sector. But I think at the heart of it, there's no getting away from the fact that if you're well below your benchmark as an institution in every single area of knowledge exchange, you might question whether as an institution you're really taking that seriously enough. And you may want to think about how to improve your performance in the future. So this is primarily an institution-based exercise. But what does KEF mean for individual researchers? What what do they need to be aware of? So to be absolutely clear and to, to try and reassure a researcher who might be thinking, what does the KEF mean for me as an individual? What might I have to do? Is this going to be another thing that I have to spend time doing? I don't think that's the case. All of the metrics are derived from existing uh, returns. So there's no new burden of data collection to to feed those metrics. And the institutional statement and the various narratives associated with this are fairly short, and they are designed to be written by an institution. So a researcher might be called upon to contribute information about a project or something like that. But uh, this is not an exercise in a in a way you know that the, the ref is where there's there's emphasis on on what individual researchers individual academics are contributing in terms of their own outputs and outcomes. So I think there's a little downside in terms of workload and potentially you know a reasonable upside for for individuals in terms of the the recognition they might receive for for these valuable activities. I think the thing that comes out to me strongest of all is you know the the relational nature of KEF. Granted, there are some transactional elements in there, but it's all about relationships. What's the relationships between the inside of academia and things outside academia? And they can be measured in certain ways. So, so that the balance of supply and demand is, is, is carefully, carefully positioned, whereas REF is very much, uh, it's still academics speaking to academics and to a certain extent uh, marking our own homework, although obviously there are, are, are users involved in, in grading grading impact case studies. 
So the interesting question for me, and I'm not sure whether this is something that UKRI are going to be looking at, is do we sit there and start looking at REF environment statements uh, and what they say about knowledge exchange, open research, the porosity of the institution, the individual strategies of submitting units, and try and cross-reference that to university uh, REF strategies? Of course, the, the delay has been interesting because the delay has created almost a little bit of time to start thinking about some of those things as, as submissions are, are, are finalised for the REF towards the uh, towards um, spring 2021. So I'm not sure whether Hamish has any any strong strong views on that one. Yeah, so I think I think Chris raises an interesting point about the the relationship between REF and KEF, and I, I've covered in a, a previous um, blog with Stephen Hill, the, the Research England Director of Research, how we see the key differences between REF and KEF. And I think it's also really important to note that Research England administer both the, the KEF and also the REF on, on behalf of England and, and the devolved nations. So, you know, in more normal times when I'm, the, when I'm in the office, I'm sitting feet away from the REF team. So there has been uh, interaction throughout this process. And I'd expect there's a still be interaction, particularly when we start reviewing the first iteration of the KEF. And while we're, we're very comfortable about the relationship between uh, REF impact case studies and what they're trying to achieve and what the KEF metrics are trying to, to show, I'm very comfortable there's there's you know, very different kind of nature and purpose of those things. I think a, a really interesting point Chris made around the uh, REF environment statements, and it'll be super interesting to see how there might be some crossover there, how one might reference the other, for example, particularly when we're talking about the institutional environment. And it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And I do think there's, there's opportunity, potential opportunity for us to, to reflect on that and refine that in, in future iterations of the KEF. So the KEF is very much like Chris said, individual researchers should look at it from their own institution perspective. But actually, I would encourage anybody working in academia to look at the institution you're in and the way in which that institution has responded um, from a metrics perspective into the KEF, but also the narrative statements as well, because actually that will tell you far more about what the the ethos is and the strategy for knowledge exchange in your institution and then thinking about wider how that can then be a way of playing your own research or specialisms into knowledge exchange in your institution going forwards. So specifically because the perspectives are much wider and all-encompassing than necessarily the REF is with the research focus. There's a focus on CPD activity, also a focus on entrepreneurship activity, and also the public and community engagement focus, all driven by the strategy of an institution and the way in which that institution is developing its own knowledge exchange, but in quite a broad way. And different institutions will have a different focus across those seven areas they will have at the moment and they might be looking to maintain or change that into the future. Also early in 2021 the institutions which sign up to the development year of the Knowledge Exchange Concordat, the list of that those institutions will be available which is also looking at the ways in which institutions put forward an action plan to develop their own uh, management and administration of knowledge exchange, including rewarding individuals who are working on knowledge exchange, which could be individual researchers, and how that's done in different institutions. And I think if you were the individual researcher looking at knowledge exchange, there's actually about to be, between the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, much more information available to you about the institution you're in and other benchmark institutions about actually what is happening in the sector to then allow you to think about how that might affect your own research and what you might actually be able to do, which fits inside this other wider framework. You touched on the knowledge exchange concordat. Can you explain a little bit more about that and, and how it fits in with KEF? 
So the Knowledge Exchange Concord app has been in development alongside the Knowledge Exchange framework. It's more sector run by Universities UK and Guild HE and looking at the development of eight core principles of knowledge exchange. And institutions can, at the moment, sign up to a development year for the Concordat and how that will work longer term in practice. The focus is very much, though, on individual institutions looking at their own knowledge exchange, the governance, the policies, the management, where the focus is, and then actually developing an action plan for how to improve, build and grow from that into the future. So it's very much focused on each individual institution, which then interlinks, I think, quite nicely with the way the KEF is separated across perspectives, is that in knowledge exchange, this gives us a good opportunity to, instead of compare universities against each other in a really broad way, to actually recognise the individual characteristics and strengths of different types of institutions and to then the Concord app really will allow us to continue to, to build on that and to create action plans which pull together the strategy for knowledge exchange in that institution and where the focus will be to continue building strength or create new strengths into the future. My very simple take on the, the relationship between the KEF uh, exercise and the Concord app is I think there's two in, important differences, although I do see them as kind of two pillars, if you like, of, of really high performance, good knowledge exchange. I think the first, first difference is, as, as you say, the Concordat is much more about looking at the internal uh, governance and processes and structures of universities and thinking about how an institution goes about doing something, whereas the KEF is much more about what that institution is doing, what are the kind of manifestations, what are the outputs of of that internal organisation and that internal effort. And I think the other important point of differentiation, in my mind at least, is that the KEF looks back. It looks at what has been done over the last couple of years. And the Concordat is very much a forward-looking exercise. It's to kind of say, where are we now in 2020? And where do we want to go in the future? I think the reward and recognition piece, actually, from the KU Concordat is a really good place to start from an individual researcher perspective, particularly because when you look at knowledge exchange, you're looking at a broad variety of different things. And so the focus of knowledge exchange in one institution could potentially be intellectual property and license income but in another institution it could be local growth and regeneration and the number of SMEs so small businesses an institution works with. I think then as a researcher or as an individual actually in, in academia looking at institutions your own institution or if you were developing in your career to move as well it's about seeing where those specialisms are and then looking at how institutions are going to develop appropriate reward and recognition schemes and activities that fit within that. I think previously or historically it's been quite easy for individuals or or groups in the sector to think along the lines of knowledge exchange which creates large profit margins for want of a better word and look at actually how is that then rewarding the individual researcher or academic member of staff who's done that. But with Knowledge Exchange now, we're looking at a much broader range of activity. I mean, Helen, it's interesting thinking about return on investment. There are a wide range of activities that institutions or researchers do that that do bring in income eventually or support income generation in ways that are hard to quantify. So having a wider thinking about return on investment is important to support and recognise these. I think it's really difficult as well, though, because you think about return on investment in a wider scope of knowledge exchange and you start to think about public and community engagement and and local growth and regeneration it can very quickly be so associated with the place in which your institution is based because the prosperity of the, the place that your institution is based is going to drive a lot of local behaviors So if you're looking at things like health inequalities and local unemployment rates, those are 
really intrinsically going to affect the communities that you're engaged with and the way in which your institution can affect those and then how you then calculate return on investment is, is quite complicated really because it's in an institution's best interest to support and have a thriving community around it but actually a lot of the time institutions need to fully engage with that to support that activity to happen as much as possible. Yeah I mean I think this is probably something that Hamish will pick up on but it, it, it implies that we need to develop other sorts of softer metrics. I mean I know there was a the original version had um, say in-kind um, contributions to research partnerships and that, that, that was taken out because it was realised that the, the way these things are measured just wouldn't you know help any kind of benchmarking whatsoever and from personal experience I can, I can agree with that but that doesn't mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater I think there are probably ways of, of, of measuring some of the value that that's that's given from outside to university endeavor that actually brings both parties up to a higher level than it would have been work, working in isolation working with business there are lots of ways of working with business that aren't included in the, in those metrics that we can we, we can have a think about. Again, COVID has has made us think the needs of our businesses in our in our localities have changed radically over the last six to nine months. Mainly bad, but actually not not all bad. New, new opportunities ha- have arisen in this this uh, this uncertain time, and, and the way the university engages with those businesses can sometimes be missed off all forms of measurement. I do think we have to be slightly careful to remember that not everything an institution does, however good and worthy or or brilliant, is necessarily what I would call knowledge exchange. So I do think we have to sort of keep in the back of our minds this focus on knowledge exchange and by that there's something exchanged or or shared, which is, is knowledge based on the university being a university and, and having this kind of specialist knowledge. So it may have a particular role in convening different entities in their local area. And I think it can do that because it's a particular type of institution. It may have a particular type of, of academic expertise in that. So I guess my first point is, you know, we can't just use the KEF as a vehicle to, to measure absolutely everything good universities do and turn it into a kind of advertising tool I think on the question of these hard to measure things, and I think my kind of generic approach to that has always been to think about, well, a lot of the metrics in the KEF, to, to be quite frank, are not about the ultimate impact or, or outcomes. I've already talked about using income as a proxy for that impact. So I guess my my kind of starting point for thinking about how might we capture more more types of knowledge-based interactions, more types of knowledge exchange in future iterations of the KEF is to think about, well, what's your theory of change? How do you get from your activity to uh, an output, to an outcome, to this eventual really good impact? And if you understand that, you can start measuring earlier on down the chain. And those type of, of things, which I'd call trajectory measures, they're not, as I say, the, the ultimate outcomes and impacts, but they are giving you a good indication that if you do enough of that stuff, you're likely to get some good in, out, outcomes and, uh, and impacts from your activity and that's the type of thing i'd be interested in they also tend to be lower burden to capture and they also tend to be much more immediate so you don't have to wait 10 years to to sort of uh, realize the benefits from them but with that low burden requirement also comes the need for, for metrics to be robust enough to potentially distribute funding on the back of so we do have to apply a reasonable bar in terms of the robustness and the auditability of the metrics we're gathering the other area where I think we're beginning to think about quite heavily is issues around equality, diversity and inclusion in knowledge exchange. So alongside, you know, I've already talked about, for example, better measures around uh, policy engagement or knowledge exchange with arts and cultural organisations. The other area where there's frankly embarrassingly little data is around EDI in, in knowledge exchange. So we do know, for example, there's quite a gender imbalance in, in uh, university-based spin-out companies. So only about 13% of, of spin-outs have female founders. 
We also know there are imbalances in the kind of wider funding of startups and spin-outs. So this isn't particularly about university spin-outs, but the wider population of new companies, only about 1% of venture capital funding in the UK goes to all female founding teams. If we look at then the ethnicity of founders, looking at black female founders, only about 0.02% of venture capital has gone to uh, black female founders over the last decade in the UK. So important to emphasize that's not just university spin-outs, that's the whole population of startups in the UK. But I suspect that there to be a similar picture when looking at uh, university-based spin-out companies. And that's kind of got us thinking about how or whether the KEF would be an appropriate place to start surfacing information on not just gender and ethnicity, but other protected characteristics as a way of beginning to shine a light on those potential imbalances and therefore how we might go about addressing them. I'm keen to emphasize that I think this is an interesting area to explore. One conclusion could be that that such issues might be better addressed through other mechanisms such as the KE Concordat and the action planning institutions do internally. But being obviously the role I'm in, I'm a great believer of if you don't have the data on these things, it's, it's very hard to make progress. So I do think we should look very seriously at whether EDI-type data on knowledge exchange could be incorporated in future iterations for the KEF. And that's certainly something we'll be doing more work on um, over the coming months. As you've all touched on, this is the, f- the first iteration of KEF. How do you see it developing in the future? Yeah, I, mean, I th- think ultimately this is a, a tremendous resource that can be used to, to shape and generate new and interesting narratives around, around what the sector does. But by resource, I even mean academic resource. You know, I think there's a whole lot of you know secondary analysis that could be done on some of these narratives that will be absolutely fascinating. And I think one of the great shames of REF in 2014 was we said we'd have all these examples of of impact that we could, you know, Bayes could look through and and, and get a sense of, of what was going on. And I, I don't think it even touched the sides. We had a bit of post REF REF analysis. Obviously, all these all the documents are are public documents. But the level of analysis wasn't what you'd expect with all that, all the effort put into creating creating. And maybe it was because there was a, a distinct lack lack of coherence. You know, in, in a sense, you have seven thousand individual case studies that say their own thing. I think with the the KEF narratives, I think there's some really interesting pieces of work. You know, particularly around around public engagement, we, we, we could embark on. So it could become um, greater than than some of its parts. I, I don't know whether Hamish can can say anything about what, for instance, and CCP are going to going to do with some of this information. Yeah, so so you're right. I think they are they will be a, a really interesting resource. I think both both the metrics as they're going to be expressed in these interactive, very visual dashboards and also the narratives, they'll they'll all be publicly available. I think because they're quite heavily structured, they open up the possibility for more structured comparisons between approaches. So at a very basic level People within institutions, for the first time, have a, a, a single source, if you like, single source of structured information about what other institutions are doing in in the area of of public engagement. I mean, I have to be honest. One thing that's sort of first and foremost in my mind is: has everyone scored themselves realistically? And one of my my fears when when we chose that approach to public and community engagement perspective was that it'd be kind of rampant grade inflation. And people will be claiming fairly high scores from from what we didn't think looked like state of the art or or you know really excellent um, activity. Having done some very early analysis on those scores and the, and the range of scores, I don't think that's the case. And I think the message has to go across that if everyone scored themselves twenty five out of twenty five, that metric frankly would not survive the review of the first iteration. But I, I do think people are approaching this in a kind of honest way. And I do, in the spirit of the KEF, really, as being a, a useful tool and not just a, a, you know, a means to beat institutions up about their performance. And we are going to continue to work with NCCPE to see how we can improve the methodology in the future. And potentially, again, similarly to the local growth and regeneration narratives, look across the kind of ways that people are expressing what good looks like, how they know they're getting good results, how they know they're, they're meeting the needs of their, their various publics and, and communities. And again, seeing whether there's potential for more systematic collection of that in the future. 
So I think it's different for each institution. The public and the community surrounding that institution is different by virtue of the place being different. But I think institutions need to look beyond the the members of the community that they engage with. And researchers need to think beyond just engaging with with members of the community and thinking actually about linking co-creation into research activities. But for institutions and institutional strategy, that can actually look at how you work in partnership with other large local institutions to then work and create um, a difference and share knowledge in that wider community. And I think as we go through the development of the narratives over time, and as you read through them through points one through five, you should hopefully get a feel for how an institution is going beyond pulling individuals into research projects and actually expanding how the, the wider knowledge of the institution is shared with the public and with that local community as well. And that's, again, coming back to what the strategy is in each institution to to do that and how to do that, which then is different depending on, on the place. And I think the public and community engagement narratives are just going to be, and designed to be, I think, in my opinion, just so specific to that institution and how that institution strategizes and values and feels really about about that activity. Yeah, thinking about that and about public engagement, there's also a question of who you are engaging with. I mean, our communities are very diverse, many different groups. Are you identifying those at the outset? Are any invisible? Are there any you're missing? How do you plan to reach these groups? What's the best way to communicate and, and engage what they need? Absolutely. And and the template was really set up and we, we talked to, to NCCP a lot about this. It is really set up in a structured way, which takes the reader on a journey through that very question. Like if you don't know who your public are and, and who your communities are and what they need, how do you know if your strategy is any good? How do you know what activities to do? How do you know how to evaluate those activities? So absolutely, the, the template is structured in a way which we think represents good practice in that area. And then really importantly, in section five of that template, that's about the, the organization articulating how they use those results and how they build on those results, so how they close the loop, so how they use that to continuously improve and refine their, their approach to public engagement. Thank you so much for joining us today, Helen, Hamish and Chris, and for talking to us about KEF. That was a really fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, guys. To find out more about KEF, you can visit the Knowledge Exchange Framework page on Research England. To find out more about the Knowledge Exchange Concordat, you can also visit their webpage. The links to both are in the show notes below. This is our last podcast of the year, and I think I can safely say that we're all looking forward to seeing the back of 2020. We hope you all get a well-deserved break across the festive period, and we've got some exciting episodes planned for when we're back in 2021, starting on January the 7th, so join us then. Thank you for listening. 